Hello, and welcome to a special presentation of Harper Audio Presents, recorded at the American Booksellers Association's Winter Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Winter Institute is a gathering of independent booksellers, publishers, and authors. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is... Hi, I'm Pam Jenoff. I'm the author of The Orphan's Tale, which will be published by Mira Books on February 21st, 2017. The Orphan's Tale has been described as the nightingale meets water for elephants. Um, It's the story of a young Dutch girl. She's Noah. She's been cast out by her family after becoming pregnant from a German soldier. And she's living over a rail station, which she cleans to earn her keep. And one day she makes the horrific discovery of a train car full of unknown infants that have been taken from their parents. In a moment of uh, fateful decision, she grabs one of the infants and flees into the night, and she finds shelter with a German circus that has rescued Jews. And you are particularly suited to tell this story. So tell us what your background is and why this is a perfect tale for you to tell or invent. My story begins about 20 years ago when I was sent by the U.S. State Department as a diplomat to Krakow, Poland. And I did not go over there to work on the Holocaust or the war. I went, as junior foreign service officers do, to stamp visas and passports and help Americans who got in trouble over there. But at this very unique moment in time, Poland was coming out of decades of communism. And during those decades where they couldn't have an open discussion, they had never resolved their issues from World War II, Uh, anti-Semitism, property restitution, um, and all those issues that they had to resolve to move forward and be part of NATO and the European Union. I was in Poland as a young girl in my early 20s. I was halfway around the world from my family before cell phones, before the internet. Yeah, that's a key distinction, yeah. And so I was really alone over there, and I had gravitated toward the surviving Jewish community, and they really became like grandparents to me. And so the U.S. consulate, seeing my relationship with the people, said, okay, you handle all those issues from the war. You know, we were eight Americans in Krakow, so it wasn't terribly formal. And so for the next several years, that was my job um, to work on those issues. And it was both very rewarding to work on these kinds of things and make progress and et cetera, but it was also very challenging to be on the ground over there having these hard conversations about who had done what during the war. So I came back from Poland very moved and changed by what I had experienced, and I knew I wanted to write about it, and it's been influencing my novels ever since. Really, ever since. And so I'm, I'm curious how that life experience led to the life of, of writing fiction. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's funny because when I say I knew I wanted to write a book, it was always going to be a novel because I was one of those little kids who always wanted to be a writer, scribbling stories, never poems, never short stories, always trying for the novel. But for those many years in Europe and in school where I had so much time on my hands, I never quite got started. Um, And for me, you know, everyone has that project. You can't get off the ground that maybe it's not a book, but something in your closet you want to do. And um, for me, the turning point was 9-11. So I'd come back from Europe. I'd gone to law school. And I started practicing law on September 4th, 2001, exactly one week before 9-11 happened. And when that fateful day happened, I had sort of a life epiphany where I realized that being a lawyer was great, but I had a dream of being a novelist that I had not realized and had 
had I been a 9-11 victim, I never would have realized my dream. Uh, I had a start, like I didn't have forever. So I took a course at Temple Night School in Philadelphia and it was called Write Your Novel This Year, literally. They later changed that to Write Your Novel This Month, which sounds really scary to me. But I took Write Your Novel This Year and I started working on my first book, which would become The Commandant's Girl. Um, Of course, I was a new lawyer at a big city firm and I had $1,000 a month in student loan debt to repay. So I wrote my novels from five to seven back in the morning, back in the day. Yeah. And the rest is is history. History, except it was not a hop, skip, and a jump from there to my local indie. In fact, it was five years and thirty nine publisher rejections until you know the last editor on earth uh, took my first book, and it's been from there. It's the history, yeah. So, so going back to the new the new book and the story of this train car, it it's of course rooted in horrific history, correct? of these babies in this train car is, is a, is a real um, event. Uh, and so how much of the, the sort of the circus and the Germans um, protecting the Jews, how much of that is, is based in history? So I was looking, I was trying to decide what was going to be my idea for the new book. And I was in the Yad Vashem archive online. They have a database of the righteous people who helped during the war. And two stories came out to me. One was the horrific story of a train of unknown infants, babies taken from their own parents, too young to know their own names. And the other was this incredibly uplifting story of the Rescuer Circus, um, a German circus that had, in fact, hidden Jews from a Jewish circus family, had hidden them as part of their act. Um, And embedded in those two true stories were several other um, interesting bits of history that found their way into my book. Um, For example, I discovered this rich history of Jewish circus dynasties that had existed for centuries in Europe before the war, um, which I was really, really moved by. Another true bit of history which inspired me was a real-life relationship between one of the Jewish women in hiding and one of the clowns with the rescuer circus. That was an actual story. And there was also a really interesting bit that works its way into the book about German soldiers who were sent home from the front with orders to divorce their Jewish wives yeah. and the choices they made. So there were, my story is completely fictitious, but there are many rich bits of history that inspired it. Yeah, and you continue. So do you continue to work? What's your what's your day job these days? Are you able to write full-time now? Well, able, you know, is, is an interesting question. I do have a day job. I am a law school professor. I teach at Rutgers. Um, and so... And I love teaching. I love my students. And so although it's extremely busy, uh, I sometimes describe being a writer with a day job as fighting with one hand tied behind your back because there's just so many commitments and constraints. But the truth is I love everything. I mean, I have three small children uh, and my day job and my writing. And if I hit Powerball tomorrow, I would still do all of those things. I might just do them a little bit slower, but I really do love all of them. That's great to hear. So now you've published your most recent book. It does... Does each publication change you in some way? Every book changes me and every book is uniquely challenging in various ways. So I refer to The Orphan's Tale as the book that it broke me to write. Um, And I do mean that because I knew from the very beginning I was going to write about the unknown children on that train. But I knew to do it justice, I was going to have to metaphorically put my own children on that train. And so I waited a long time to write that opening scene. I sort of avoided it as long as I as I could, um, but I knew it had 
to be there. So that was very difficult with this book. And actually for a long time after this book, it was hard to move on because, you know, it's just so shaken by the story. It was a kind of like post-traumatic stress thing that I couldn't really move on. I have, but it was hard. And this book was challenging on other levels. Um, you know, um, it, it was set in France, which is not where I've set books before. So that was interesting. Learning about the circus was really yeah. hard. You know, yeah. I had to learn a lot about aerial arts and I had an aerialist on retainer uh, to ask my questions, but it wasn't until pretty far along that I even knew what to ask her. And she said, no, no, you can't throw somebody like that or that wouldn't work. I thought, oh. Um, so it was really interesting and challenging. An aerialist on retainer. Well, by retainer, I mean she was doing me a huge favor and being my consultant. And where was where did she live? Um, she is an aerialist with Big Apple Circus in New York, um, and she was just very kind to answer all of my questions and send me some video links so I could see things. And the interesting part for this book is I was you know we've seen in the news recently that Ringling Brothers is yeah, shutting down. Such mixed feelings because I personally am not a fan of the circus. And when I was doing the research, I was like, do I have to go see the circus to write this book? I was kind of dreading it. Ultimately, I didn't see the circus because European circuses were so different Mm. from American circuses that it almost would have been misleading. So I used more historical research. But even, you know, there's all these, there's something online called Circopedia, which is like a guide to circuses and making sure I had the correct terminology for the country and all of that. That sounds fun. All right, I want to ask you a few questions about your writing life in general. And I'm going to start with what natural gift would you most like to possess as a writer? That I would like to possess as opposed to that I do possess. I wish I had more stamina as a writer. So um, I have great discipline in that I can sit down and write almost every day. I have terrible stamina. I'm a short burst writer. So you give me 45 minutes, seven days a week, I can use that. You give me eight hours consecutively, I don't know what to do with the eight hours. So much like pushing myself as a distance runner, if I was going to run a race, I have to build up my my writing muscles to push through a longer day. And also the ability to write at different times of the day because I'm a morning writer. And so if I lose the morning, I'm kind of done. And I I, I try and push in myself and also frankly in my students, the ability to work at different times of day and not constrain themselves. So I wish I could do better at non-morning writing. Yeah, that's a really good lesson to teach to teach young people because it's true that we all do that. But the more you can stop doing that, you know, you know, be most productive at a very specific time, that's going to be helpful to you, isn't it? Yes. And when and where are you most happiest as a writer? That's a really interesting question. So I have written in castles and mountaintop retreats, but I will tell you as a busy mom with a day job, I have written in my doctor's waiting room. I have written in my car. And I can tell you every coffee shop in my neighborhood if it opens at 6 a.m. or 6.30 because I have my nose pressed against the glass to go in. So um, I, you know, so it really varies. Um, but it's happiness. It's not just where you're writing. Yes. So where, where are you happiest? I mean, as a writer can just mean as a writer in your headspace. 
Well, I, I was in a hotel room this morning. I was pretty happy writing there. Um, <laughs> but there's always, you know, as a mom and a writer, there's this dual tension between wanting to escape, you know, and have that solitude to write and wanting to be present with your children. Um, it's a really interesting tension. So I used to love to go off to writer's retreats and be on my own, but it's not, you know, as easy or as desirable to do that right now. So exactly. um, yeah, I just want to be in, in a good space, but that just means different things depending where I am in my life, I guess. Uh-huh. And what faults do you feel that you most indulge in as a writer? What faults? So I love that question because I, one of the things I believe in and teach is like knowing yourself as a writer, you know? So I have this very weird writing process. I know some writers are linear writers and every sentence has to be perfect before they move on. I am the opposite of that. So I open a, you know, a, a computer document or a notebook and I go blah for like, you know, 60,000 words. This is first of all the worst writing process in the world and I recommend it to no one because it takes a really long time to edit that junk that comes out when I'm writing. Um so I wish I could, I don't know if that's a fault, but I wish I could sort of fix that. Um, And I tend to be very sparse on my first drafts and those who edit me know that they have to say, okay, go back and fill in the emotion, go Uh deeper. uh I'm a sparse first draft person. Whereas if I could be one of those people that gets it all out on the first draft, um, that would be pretty amazing. And then beyond that, there's the little proclivities. Like for example, overuse of the word suddenly, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know what you overuse, then you go back and do a search and replace and make sure you haven't overused it. (laughs) That that was one of my questions about what what words do you overuse? Suddenly. (laughs) What do you consider your greatest achievement as a writer? That's a that's a really interesting question. What do I consider my greatest achievement as a writer? Um, You know, uh, my books uh, coming out of World War II, which not all of them, but most of them have, um, I really consider love songs, I don't want to say just to Jewish Europe, but to Europe and the people that lived in that time period. And it's a tremendous responsibility when you take that on. And at times it can actually be daunting so as to stop you from doing it. Um, but I think there's worth in what we're memorializing in art and mm-hmm. so I think if if people who lived through that time, when when I hear from them and they they feel that my books are respectful and and you know accurate and um, sort of really depict things in a way that they can embrace, that would probably be my greatest pride in my work. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, what is your motto as a writer? My motto is every damn day, right? Damn so it's day. not, sometimes it's not pretty, but I think it's just about moving that ball forward a little bit. I did something a year or two ago that I called the 100 Days of Writing Challenge where I had something to get done and I said, I'm going to write every single day for 100 days, touch paper, no matter what happens. And at the end of 100 days, it felt so good, I kept going. And I just kept turning that over until the manuscript was done at 299 days. So um, I do actually think there's huge value to pushing your craft forward every single day. Yeah, that's terrific. Now, what I'm asking folks for sort of anecdotes around bookstores and Mm -hmm. independent bookstores and something that might've happened to them yesterday or when they were a kid that was influential to their lives. One thing that has been a great joy for me in recent years is the evolution of my relationship with our independent bookstores. So for the longest time where I lived, we had no indies. Um, so we just got a wonderful independent bookstore. And where do you live? 
I live in southern New Jersey and we just got Inkwood Books in Haddonfield opened and I'm going to have a launch there and I adore them. Um, So Inkwood. And then beyond Inkwood, there's sort of this now constellation of bookstores in my area. Open Book is one um, and Harleysville Books and Bethany Beach Books in Delaware and Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey. Um, I could go on and on, but I have this sort of nice constellation of independent bookstores around my area. And I so value that both that I can go to them for events or they will sell books at one at my events off site or and they continue to hand sell. And it's become a true partnership um, that's such a rich part of my writing experience. Terrific. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. All of the books you've heard mentioned here are available at your independent bookstore. And if you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents.